Hello everyone and welcome to Coach's Corner. Today I have a great guest for you. Her name is Terry Cole. I'll tell you about her in a moment. I made a commitment this year to up-level who I'm bringing on the show. We've always had great guests. I'm really going for guests that speak to your concerns, your questions, people that may not be, you know, big influencers or have big followings. We have people like that on the show too, but people that I find that are just so grounded in their work, really know their stuff and have valuable tools to share with you. And Terry Cole is one of those people. She also happens to be one of those influencer types, but most importantly, she is really embodied in her work and she knows her stuff, especially when it comes to boundaries, which is such an important topic and something we talk about a lot on this show. Let me tell you a little bit more about Terry Cole. She's a licensed psychotherapist and global relationship and empowerment expert. For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that includes everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities to Fortune 500 CEOs. She has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. She inspires over 250,000 people weekly through her blog, social media platform, signature courses, and her popular podcast, The Terry Cole Show. She has a new book coming out right now called Boundary Boss, which you can learn more about at boundarybossbook.com. Before we dive in, let's talk about the boundaries you have on what goes in your body. Now, I know that it's easy to get processed foods and a lot of us, when we're stressed or when we're dealing with anything emotionally, or even when we're celebrating something, we tend to eat not so healthy stuff. And so it's important that we balance out all the unhealthy stuff or just cut it out altogether with really great quality ingredients and superfoods, which is why I love Organifi. Organifi has so many ready-to-go superfood packets. They have their green drink, their red drink. When we went to Mexico last week, I made sure I brought lots of packages of my green juice and my red juice to make sure I was getting in all the superfoods and nutrition that I needed so I could feel healthy and vital. Organifi sources their products from the best ingredients. They have yummy things like their gold blend, which is this delicious turmeric drink that makes an incredible latte. I just love that. And all kinds of other yummy stuff that you can find at Organifi.com slash over it. When you go to Organifi.com slash over it, you get 20% off of everything you buy by using the promo code over it. All right. And now on to my conversation with Terry Cole. Terry, welcome to the show. You are a longtime friend, and I'm really excited to have you here. Why, thanks for having me, my friend. Uh, you are you are one of the real deals. Well, I only really have the real deals on my show. <laughs> and <laughs> I just so, so respect your work because you have been in this work for many, many years. You are a licensed psychotherapist, relationship expert, author, and coach as well. And I'd love to start the conversation because you're the perfect person to ask this question that I get asked very frequently, which is, what is the difference between therapy and coaching? And how do you know which one of those you need? Well, with therapy, it's a lot of times I look at it more like um, a long-term experience. Doesn't have to be, but it generally is. Where with coaching, you could be like, I'm gonna do a package of three. Mm. That probably wouldn't work that well with therapy. And we're really talking about resolving sort of problematic beliefs, behaviors, relationship issues, um, feelings, and even sometimes like, you know, somatic physical responses to your life. So there's a lot of going back in time mm -hmm. when it comes to therapy, where with coaching, it's sort of problem solving and skill building from where you are in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how can I do this thing? I can teach you to do this thing. If it ends up that something in your unconscious mind, or there's some reason you can't do that, you might need a deeper dive with a therapist. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I found as a coach, I, I do some of the 
the, the back work as well, the mm-hmm. childhood work as well. But I also have lots of training in psychology. And that's when I, why I went to go back and get my master's degree in psychology is because I felt as a coach, I would reach a wall with people because I couldn't, I couldn't get them where they wanted to go without going backwards, <laughs> without doing some investigation yep. of the past. And what I love is I see uh, actually a lot of therapists doing coaching as well, especially with COVID and having to work more remotely. And that's given a lot of therapists a lot more flexibility too, in terms of the modalities they can use and the tools they can use. And I think that's one of the many things that makes your work so unique is that you have this psychotherapy background and you you understand psychology on a deep, deep level. And you also really know the personal development and coaching worlds. So you're Mm. a unicorn. We get the best of both worlds with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of your areas of expertise and something that I've always uh, referred people to about you is boundaries. You are so excellent at teaching people how to be a boundary boss and what boundaries are and why they're so important in relationship. So let's just start with a definition or a description of what a boundary is and why it's important. Okay. So boundaries, what, what they are, you being um, a boundary boss, right? Let's say is you knowing your um, preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, and then having the ability to communicate them in your relationships, professional and personal. Mm. Can you give us an example? Mm, Sure. I mean, let's say a deal breaker is you um, want to have a child and you're, you're dating someone who doesn't want to have a child. That is a boundary that you have to, you're setting a limit on the relationship if the person doesn't come around. If that's a deal breaker for you, meaning I won't be happy in my life unless I do this. So that that is a boundary. That's a deal breaker, which is different than a preference, mm-hmm. right? A preference is something that's nice to have. A desire is something a little more important than a preference. A limit is something that you you say no to, right? But it's not a deal breaker. So there, there's degrees of importance. Mm-hmm. The way that I categorize boundaries is that no one size fits all. The, the, you know, people have a lot of misunderstandings around what it means to have healthy boundaries. There's this fear that you're rejecting people, that you're saying no all the time, that you're being mean or being bitchy about it. And that really stops a lot of women in particular from learning this skill set. Mm-hmm. Because really, I mean, Christine, who who knows how to do this? Nobody taught this to me in my no. home. Mm-mm. Did you learn it at home? No. no, no. And especially what what I did learn, not necessarily just at home, but just by watching the world, is if you want to avoid conflict and you want people to like you, you please. Yep. So so not only did we not get the information. I mean, think of it like a, a language. We wouldn't expect to be fluent in a foreign language that no one ever taught us, just because we wished we were we would know that we need to learn. So growing up, most of us learned, not not only did we not learn how to do it, make a simple request, express ourselves honestly, set a limit with someone, um, speak up if we don't like something. We were taught that, you know, to be nice and to mm-hmm. be a good girl and to turn that frown around, right? Yep. 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 So we got, we got corrupted intel on what boundaries are and the way that we should be in the world to grow up to be desirable women. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of of concern that if we set boundaries, we're going to upset people. Like you said, we're going to lose friends. We're going to lose connections. We're going to be seen as selfish. And Mm. when I am working with people with boundaries, one of the common questions I get was, well, how do I set boundaries? And I can answer that question, but what the person's really asking is how do I set boundaries and not upset people? And I often right. say, well, you, you can't, <laughs> you may be able to, but right. that's not the point. Usually when we set a boundary, all of a sudden we're changing the rules. We're changing the dynamic. And most likely the person you're setting the boundary with may not like that. 
they may have pushback and they might try to get you to collapse a boundary by calling you selfish or playing into the guilt. So can we talk a little bit about that dynamic of when we start to set boundaries and people have the reactions they have? Well, part of it is, and what I teach basically in the courses in the book that I have about it is we have an expectation that if we change the boundary dance, like you said, the dynamic, the other person, right? You're dancing with someone, they're going to notice, mm-hmm. but also them noticing doesn't have to mean abort the mission, right? Yep. That person being like, Hey, this is different because the way that um, I teach it is that we do it very slowly. We start with lesser priority people in our lives. So we don't start with the hardest people or the people who we think are like the biggest boundary bullies or boundary destroyers, Mm -hmm. right? We start by actually sending the food back if it's not what we ordered. We start by stopping doing all of this crap that we don't want to do in life by nicely saying no instead of saying yes when we want to say no. And there are all of these very kind. You can stay lovingly connected to the people in your life while you become more sovereign, right? At While you become more self-determined. Because if we go through life with these porous boundaries, because for women in particular, there's a lot of codependency or, mm-hmm. or codependent tendencies, right? We are empaths. We are highly sensitive people. We are very intuitive. We're very dialed into other people's feeling states. And a lot of times we can mistake the fact that we're dialed in to it being our responsibility. Mm. Our responsibility to... You know, you are not responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To make sure someone else... Okay. Make, them, make someone else happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's maybe give some role plays, some sentences that we can use. And I love the the suggestion to start with people, like start with a waiter, not your mother. That's probably a good start to, <laughs> to start practicing. Exactly. And I am going to talk about the mother thing because that is one of the boundaries that I, I see people have the hardest time setting is that mother, especially mm-hmm. mother-daughter dynamic. Yep. But let's just start with some easy ones. Let's go a step above a waiter. No no disservice to waiters. You're very important. But most of us don't have an intimate relationship with, with our server or our waiter. Uh, right. let, let's do a friend. Maybe not like your best friend in the world, but a friend and an acquaintance who's asking you to do, asking for a favor that you, you don't really want to do. And you want to deny. You want to you say no. And I notice so many people, again, especially women, when they say no, they follow it with a huge apology and justification. Mm-hmm. It's never just no. So I, I'm your friend, Terry, and I'm, I'm making a request. I'm asking you if you can, I don't know, come to some baby shower birthday party that you really don't want to go to. Mm-hmm. So how can you say no to that in a way that's loving but with boundaries? You can either, first of all, if you're unavailable, you can be unavailable. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I checked my calendar and I'm already, I already have plans that day. So even if my plans are painting my nails and <laughs> yep. organizing my closet. <laughs> yeah. Cause here's the thing there, there, there's a place for, I think you can be honest and say, you know, it's really not my, it's really not my thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like I love you. I, I will send a gift. I'm, but I, I just don't do showers. If, if that's true for you, you know, some people will think that that's rude, but you're allowed to opt out of showers if, if it really isn't your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say, I'm, I'm afraid I can't without an explanation, mm-hmm. but I hope you have a wonderful time. You can start it by saying, um, it depends on how you feel about the friend. So if it's, if it's an acquaintance, but someone you don't, you know, is not a close friend, you can say, um, thank you so much for thinking of me. I'm afraid I can't on that day. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't have to justify, right? We don't need to convince someone else of our why. Yep. You know, and some people may ask and some won't. But again, just because someone asks a question doesn't mean you have to answer it. So so that's one thing. Um, if someone's asking you uh, to do a favor, but you just, you don't want to, or you've done it before, you, you know, someone's asking to borrow money. Why don't we do a money thing? I would just straight up say, I have a no lending policy. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's not personal to you. I don't lend anyone money because I want to protect my relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and know know that ahead of time. But if someone's asking you to do something that seems terrible, like please come have dinner with my in-laws, let's just say, but <laughs> she doesn't like her in-laws, you can say, babe, I'm a no to dinner, but I'm always a yes to you. Yeah. So let's have lunch next week, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Again, every time you think in your mind, I don't want them to think or I don't want them to feel, I'm going to ask you to get back on your side of the street mm-hmm. because what they think and what they feel is their side of the street. Yes, which is a perfect segue to why are boundaries not selfish? Because I hear that all the time. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be selfish. And I usually say, well, you're actually being self-honoring. But let's really unpack this. Why are boundaries not selfish? And actually, why do they help maintain and create healthier relationships? Well, let's look at what disordered boundaries do. Well, if you're saying yes when you want to say no, or acquiescing all the time to avoid conflict, or over-functioning, over-giving, bending over backwards for people because you want them to perceive you as being nice, you will end up feeling used and abused, Mm -hmm. feeling underappreciated because you're doing things that no one is asking you to do some of the time, you know, and no matter how grateful someone will be, they can never be grateful enough because you're giving from fear you're giving from fear of confrontation or fear of being being rejected, a lot of us. So in the long run, not only are you giving the people in your life corrupted information about you by not telling them the truth about how you feel, you're setting yourself up and your relationships up to fail because you will end up, I mean, I always say it's like a one-way ticket to bitter land mm-hmm. because there's no other stops on that train. Yep. The, the only place it can end up is you either feeling unknown, unseen, which is like an existential lonely, loneliness beyond anything else. Like you're in a relationship, but you feel like the person doesn't know you. But why don't they know you? Mm. Because you're not allowing them to, because you're afraid of being rejected. Mm-hmm. Or them getting mad at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, afraid of conflict. A lot of us just will do anything to avoid what you think might be a confrontation or um, an uncomfortable interaction. But I want to say you are not that fragile. Mm. Your relationships are not that fragile. And if you drawing a boundary, a simple boundary creates such a rupture in a relationship, it was super unhealthy to begin with. Like, you know what I mean? No, no no relationship with potential is that fragile. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fear, you know? Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. And I I can think to many of my conversations with friends where I, you know, wasn't speaking my truth and, and then, and then did, um, or set a boundary and the ones that were true friendships are better now. We have a, we have a closer understanding. I feel more seen by them. Um, it was just really encouraging myself to push, not push through, but just move through that, that discomfort and also that survival pattern of if I don't please, I'll get hurt. And, you know, we're, those survival patterns are so strong. You know, we so Mm -hmm. want love and acceptance and belonging. And I see that's one of the biggest blocks with boundaries. There's this little kid inside that's so afraid that mommy or daddy's going to be mad at them and they're going to lose love. They're going to lose belonging. They're going to lose connection. What I hear you saying, Terry, is actually by not setting boundaries, we're headed that way. It's very true. But, you know, understanding, you know, Christine, we, we both do a lot of, you know, earlier work because we know that the child within stuff is real and that those early injuries can get in the way of creating the relationships in the life that we want. So part of this process is figuring out your boundary blueprint is what I call it. So we all have this in our unconscious mind. And it's basically the paradigm. It's like a collection of beliefs. A lot of times it's limiting beliefs, um, cultural things, family of origin. We learned this like, hey, this is the way boundaries are supposed to be. 
Right. If you're angry, don't say anything, but just act it out with passive aggressive behavior. Mm. If you saw that, now no one had to tell you that, right? And nobody probably would tell you that. But if that is how one of your parental impactors dealt with their anger, then you view this as a child and you're like, oh, okay. So when I'm mad, I can slam a door, say I'm fine, roll my eyes, and be, you know, be withdrawn in anger for the next three hours. Okay, so so that that's what I do. Now, is that productive? Does that work? Does that make the relationship better? No. But until you really look at what is in your downloaded blueprint, it's kind of like this. Visualize it like an architectural blueprint for a house that someone else designed, maybe even like a century ago. Mm -hmm. And it just gets handed down from generation to generation. And part of this process of becoming masterful at boundaries is that we have to look at that downloaded blueprint and decide, oh, hey, would I, would I design this house like this now? Do I want to change this blueprint? You can change it. like Because what might have worked for your parents or generations before you may not work for you. And this comes, this is limiting beliefs as well. You know, I came from a family of kind of male bashers, you know, I mean, not like horrendously hateful, but you know, like jokes and whatever. And I had to get to a point in my own therapy of being like, I don't want to think that men are inferior. Mm. Like that doesn't feel good to me. That doesn't make me feel better about myself. It makes me feel terrible about my prospects of ever <laughs> finding a partner. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I had to unlearn those limiting beliefs. And it's the same thing with boundaries. Mm. Let's, I love that. I love that boundary blueprint because I think that's so important to look at how we learn boundaries and what they look like and go, hmm, do I want to keep doing this? Is this a house I want to live in? Maybe this is a house I grew up in, but is this a house I want to live in? I think a lot of us can think back to our childhood homes and go, hmm, would I want to be back in that house? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Let's back up for a moment because there may be some people listening that don't even realize that boundaries are being crossed. They they Mm -hmm. don't even realize that there's inappropriate behavior. So how do we know when a boundary has been crossed or when we need to set a limit with someone? Well, this is where you're two, two, two places to check. So if you have resentment in relationships, if you feel unsatisfied, if you feel unseen, if you feel lonely, those are all indications that either a need is being unmet or a boundary has been violated. So you know your problematic relationships. Every single person listening to this, like three people just popped into your mind. So that's one way, is looking about how you feel. And now we'll dial back into the body wisdom in the moment. In the moment, when a boundary has been crossed, let's just say someone makes a lewd comment about you. Your body immediately responds. So if it feels threatening, you go into fight, flight, freeze. And a lot of women in particular will will not be able to talk. It's like you just Mm -hmm. feel frozen because you feel so threatened by the situation. So you know that that happened and maybe you couldn't say anything in the moment. But the more you do this and the more you, you excavate that stuff in your blueprint and in the basement of your mind, your unconscious mind, the more you're healing the inner child throughout this process the less threatened in that way you will be when someone crosses the boundary. So even if now you're like, crap, I didn't say anything. I had that interaction last Wednesday with Bob from accounting. I wish I'd said something. First of all, I say there's no statute of limitations. You can right now go back and be like, you know, hey, Bob, I was thinking about last Wednesday at the meeting and I'd like to make a simple request that you not be on your phone while I'm giving my presentation because I found it really distracting mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like you can, even if it's someone who you like at work, you know, you may have someone at work who thinks you're gorgeous, who thinks you're amazing, who every day you walk in, they're like, wow, your legs look amazing in that skirt, Christine. And we can feel bad. Like, well, I know he doesn't mean it as an insult. Here's the thing. It felt gross. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And if it felt gross, 
you can say, listen, Bob, I know you and I have a great working relationship and I know you mean it as a compliment, but it makes me uncomfortable when you make comments about my clothes and my body. So I'm going to ask you to please stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, we're not assuming the worst of Bob. Maybe Bob's just like clueless. Like, I don't know. He can't get social clues. Maybe he does think you should be flattered. He doesn't know that you're not flattered yep. until you tell him that you would like him to stop. And you don't even have to say what your experience is. You don't have to convince him. We don't have to build a case for the boundary. I'm literally asking you to please stop. Yep. That's yep. It. You don't even have to say it made me uncomfortable. You don't have no. to say how it made you feel. No. Just say, I know you didn't mean any harm, but I'd appreciate you not making comments like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit about, <laughs> we live in a very polarizing time and topics like mm. politics, COVID, vaccines can mm-hmm. pit people on opposite sides of the fence very quickly. Yep. How do we handle those conversations where people are making remarks um, that we don't agree with, that we find highly charged? Like I know, especially with conversations about race, when someone says something that you find is inappropriate, do you step in and try to change their mind about it? Like where is the, where is the line of getting into these conversations or deciding, you know what, it's probably best I just opt out of these these conversations. How do we know when we dive in and and challenge versus when we agree to disagree? All right. So my my two cents on this is that I feel like we have a certain responsibility when it comes to if someone says uh, a homophobic quote unquote joke or comment in front of me or in front of anyone, I feel like there's for me, I have a moral impetus to say, not cool, Bob, don't do it again. Not cool. No, I don't, I don't like it. No hate talk around me. Just no, I'm, I'm not. I feel the same way if it's, if it's a racial Mm -hmm. thing, same, because to me, that is a moral thing with vaccines. It's a different story. And for me, I can only say for me, you know, at work, I, uh, Listen, we're not trying to change Bob and accounting's mind about the vaccine. <laughs> so why the hell am I going to give him the bandwidth of my life? I'm not. And and someone just asked me actually on a live the other day, you know, when people ask if I got vaccinated or not at work, I, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to talk about it, whatever, because I guess there's polarizing factions in her yes. office. And I said, as soon as the person says, did you get vaccinated? You can say, oh, no way, man. No vax talk at work for me. No, mm. no thanks. And you can laugh and you can just be like, no, because the real thing is not answering a question that you don't want to in respect to that. Because the truth is, it is personal and it, it's not the same as the other two things we were talking about. Yes, someone saying something super misogynistic, I feel a moral obligation to go, no, not funny. Don't do it around me. If I hear it again, I'm going to HR. You know what I mean? Or whatever. That's different. This is too new. So my feeling is, unless it's someone, I'm not saying steer away from important conversations. If you are concerned about a loved one, if you you're concerned because they're not going to get vaxxed. You're you're concerned because they are going to get vaxxed. We have a right in our personal and important relationships to say, this is my feeling. This is why I'm doing the thing I'm doing. I love you. I'm worried about you. I just want to, is it okay if I tell you how I feel, right? Mm-hmm. That's different. And that's a key question. That, is it okay if I tell you how I feel? That's a key question because you're asking for permission yeah. versus just projecting and giving someone a lecture without them having a say in whether they want to hear it. And, 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 and if we were going to be really precise, which we should, we would say, is it okay if I tell you my thoughts and why I'm feeling the way that I am? Because here's the thing. It is a thought right in, in that moment, but you may have feelings of fear for the wellness of that person if they get it or if they don't, whichever, wherever you are in it. You know what I mean? Yes. 
Yes. And I, I totally agree with you. I think when someone's making morally inappropriate comments, it is a boundary to say something. Like I would be mm-hmm. collapsing my my own personal boundaries if I didn't speak up to those things. Other things that are more polarizing, be it politics, vaccine, thoughts on COVID, whatever it is, I have found that I just don't answer or I, I just opt out of the conversation, especially if I know I'm not going to get anywhere. And especially if I know that we have different opinions on it. It's like, yep. what's what's the point? It's just going to create a riff in the relationship and I'd rather talk about something else. And so yep. I love what you said because just because someone asks us a question does not mean we have to answer it. Even mm-hmm. if it's a boss, even if it's a parent, even if it's quote unquote an authority figure of some kind, we, we do, we're we not required to answer it. And if we get pressured to answer it, we can hold that boundary, Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, in the, in the book, I talk about this and this is something, um, I love Kasha Urbaniak's work. Do you know Kasha? Mm-mm. She's a power dynamic expert. You know, she is amazing. Um, and she has this, she actually has an online, like what's it? Ver- verbal self-defense dojo. How cool is that? <laughs> love that. And she has this technique that she teaches, which is getting off the spot. And it's all about being submissive or being dominant, right? And because she, that's what she does. She's a power dynamic expert. That if someone asks you a question they're not supposed to, right? Or or that you don't want to answer, even if they can, right? Forget about they're not supposed to. You don't want, you, it feels intrusive to you and you don't want to answer it. Now, we're not talking about a power differential yet, right? So let's say it's not a boss, but you're, you're at a party and someone's like, oh, why, why, why don't you have kids? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Part of the whole thing is you're now going to flip that back on them. And she has a couple of really good suggestions. And one is to simply say, why would you want to know that? Mm. Mm. Put it back on them. I love that. The moment you put – now the spotlight is off you and it's on them. And you can also say – because I, I had an experience of, but a few years ago where one of my nieces died very tragically. And, you know, you would just have people in their morbid curiosity being like, do you mind if I ask you the terrible details of how she died tragically? Yeah, I do actually mind. Mm. So I would say, why would you ask me that? Mm. Mm. And they would not pursue that line of questioning anymore. They would say, oh, I'm sorry, that that was really insensitive. You're like, no shit. Yes, it was. And no. And I do mind. And I'm not telling you. How about fucking Google it if you're really that interested? (laughs) Like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you want me to relive this traumatic, horrible experience for your morbid curiosity? Oh, my God, no way Mm -hmm. am I doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's a very simple way of putting it back on the other person. She also teaches about when you get in that freeze situation where you feel like you can't talk, she says you can say anything to break the freeze. So let's say, I think this is one of her examples, you're trying to go for a new job, you're in a job interview, and the person asks you something that is illegal, like, do you plan on having children anytime soon? That is, again, you're like, that's literally, you're not allowed to ask women that. And if you freeze, instead of directly answer, first of all, don't answer the question. That's the most important thing. But secondly, you don't have to, the thing that comes out of your mouth doesn't have to be about that. You can literally say, oh, wait, what non sequitur for one sec. Can I ask you where you got that tie? I've been looking for a tie like that for my father for like three (laughs) years, like literally, Mm. because it doesn't matter what you say. Saying anything can get you back in like a balanced position and you don't answer the question and you sort of move on. And if they go back to it, you can say, you know, I actually don't even think you're allowed to ask me that. You you could say that. Yep. Keep in mind, if someone is already doing that in the initial meeting, you probably don't want to work at that place. Yep. That's so true. That's so true. I love this because what we're really hearing is ways to speak up for ourselves, set these boundaries with it. It almost is like this, this confidence, this I'm taking my power back because when someone 
invades our boundaries, it feels a bit like an attack. It feels, we can feel their energy coming into our energy field. And Mm -hmm. by being a boundary boss and everything that you talk about in your book, it's like, no, back up buddy or sister, whoever you are, like, like back up. And we don't have to be bitchy and we don't have to be mean. And we, we can be stern. We can be clear. You know, I, I can think of a, I was at a dinner party and there was a little boy there who was running around the table and just screaming in everyone's ear. And everyone was Mm -hmm. just putting up with it. Mm -hmm. And I turned to him and I said, hey, stop screaming in my ear. It really hurts. And he goes, okay, I'm sorry. And then he just kept going around the table screaming in people's ears except mine. And then he came came later and gave me a cookie because he respected me. And (laughs) I couldn't believe everybody else just sat around letting, let this kid, and people looked at me like, ooh, like you were Mm -hmm. mean to him. And I wasn't mean, I was stern because he needed to know screaming in my ear wasn't cool, but it also made him trust me more and made him be like, oh, like I can't get away with everything with this lady. And it's it's an interesting thing of when we're not a doormat, when we speak up for ourselves, whether it's to a six-year-old or a Mm 46-year-old, that person actually could end up respecting us more. Oh, most definitely. Well, let's think about it. Think about trust. You have a friend, or maybe you're the friend, who says yes when they really want to say no, who has difficulty setting limits in their relationships. You know this about your friend. When you say to your friend, oh, hey, we're going to do this girls weekend thing. Do you want to do it? And she's like, yes, definitely. When you're talking to your other friends, you're like, yeah, Betty said yes. But you know, that means like, it's like a one in three chance that she's coming. Like people know if you have the disease to please, they know you can't be counted on because they've had the experience with you in the past that you're really not your yes cannot be trusted which means your no cannot be trusted, which literally means you cannot be trusted. Mm. Let's talk about the mother-daughter relationship because Mm. it is one where I see so many boundary destroyers and collapse of boundaries, Mm -hmm. Um, especially not, not entirely, but especially with younger women, millennial women, like 20s and 30s that had Mm -hmm. a very, very close relationship with, with mom. Yep. Why is this one so hard? Because mm-hmm. it's one I see over and over and over again to the point where uh, like literally the, the daughter, her life, like she's blocking a relationship from coming in or it's affecting her relationship mm-hmm. because in a way she's married to mom. Yep. Well, part of it is that the it, it's an inappropriate attachment, right? Because the way that you interact, I just did something actually on my blog being like, why your parents should not be your best friends. Yes, I totally <laughs> you know, agree. Like perennial parenting is not cool and it burdens the adult child. Yep. So if you're walking around and being like, my daughter's my best friend, you're like, she wishes you weren't, by the way, <laughs> just so you know, just FYI, she doesn't want you having a friendship with her friends. She doesn't want you letting them drink when they're 15. She really doesn't. She just wants you to be a parent so that her life can be about her. But these parents who have a need, so there is a a disordered, um, it is instead of being child focused, which is what the, the correct hierarchy in a healthy family system is that the focus is on the child, meaning what they need teaching them skills, teaching them self-discipline, you know, the things that we teach kids. Yeah. If the mother needs to insert herself into the center of the child's life and not basically allow her, you know, she wants her to be the coolest. She's going to come to every single thing. She's going to do all the things, but it's a way of centering the kid's life on the mother, you know, that, that the child is now expected to fulfill a need for the adult that, you know, the, the adult should have friends that fulfill that need, because I don't care how close you are with the parent, probably them talking to you about sex with your father is never going to be something you're going to be like amazing. Like that mutuality between a mother and a daughter, the mutuality that is in a healthy adult friendship between women, it just can't be in that relationship. And anyway, so that complicates 
even if you didn't have the mother who wanted to be the best friend, um, boundaries with moms can be very difficult, especially if you never separated and individuated in your teen years, mm. which a lot of us were good girls, like through and through, and didn't really, you know, the separation and individuation is like the acting out phase of teenage life where you're breaking rules and you're kind of have a bad attitude and you think your parents are super uncool and, you know, those things. Now, why do you think kids differentiate with anger and with disdain? Because it's so painful for them unconsciously that if they didn't do it with anger, they'd never do it. So the ones that didn't do it, maybe the ones that you're talking about too, that you find yourself, that you couldn't even rebel because the parent had created a narrative that didn't allow it, right? You didn't want to devastate your quote unquote best friend by rebelling. So it's sort of like suppressing that need. So anyway, what do you do now is the question, <laughs> right? Yeah. This is, this is where we're at. What do you do now? I think we look at it, each area of, of where is it impeding your life and your happiness? So part of it is stepping back from that parent is okay. If the mother, your, your parental impactor or your maternal impactor insists that you tell her everything that's going on in your relationship, maybe don't. Maybe say, mom, I'll tell you what I want to tell you, but I feel like this is like, you know, an, an, the inquiry, like why I don't feel compelled. Allowing your parent to give you unasked for advice or criticism where they're constantly weighing in on what you should do or trying to quote unquote fix your problems. I have all kinds of scripts for this in the book as well. Just being like, oh, hey, mom, I'm actually not looking for input right now. Mm. I really just want you to be with me because I'm in pain or tell you how I'm feeling. But if you can't, this was actually a true story about my relationship with my mother, who I was always very close to her all of my life, still am. And once I got into my 20s, like anytime anything was wrong or I was upset, breaking up with a boyfriend, she would couldn't stop giving me like dumb advice. You know what I mean? <laughs> Telling me how <laughs> shit I'm never going to do. <laughs> so please stop. But it was so painful to me because it was like she just wanted to shut down her pain that my pain was causing. Yes. Does that make sense? That's key. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's hard for so, the parent to be with the child's suffering. So they yes. do whatever they can do to use their suffering all the while making the child suffer more. That is well said, Christine. That is exactly right. And so I had to say to her, mom, listen, I'm not asking you for your advice. I don't need you to fix anything. Your job is done. And if you continue to give me your unasked for advice, I'm not going to come to you when I'm in pain, mom. And she was like, all right. Well, at first she was all defensive, like, oh, you girls can talk to me about anything. But I, I was like, right, that is correct. Because it's my life. And you trying to fix it makes me feel unseen, unheard, unimportant. And you can't fix it, mom. What mm -hmm. even makes you think you can? Mm -hmm. But you know what really adds value to me is you withstanding your discomfort to just say, hey, babe, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I'm here. How can I best support you right now? Yep. Yep. Great question. Yep. I'm here. I love you. What do you need? Yeah. Yes. Uh, keep, I'm going to keep going on this mom thing and people can insert friends, you know, mm -hmm. dad, whatever. Um, so two things I hear a lot, like mom calls every day and people just suffer through the phone call because it's like, well, mm -hmm. I can just talk to her for five minutes. No big deal. But it is a big deal because every time that phone rings, something happens to you physiologically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And yep. the other one is, you know, but I'm the only person she has and I feel so guilty or her health is bad and I have to take care of her. And the child has mm -hmm. gone into the parental role. So yep. can we talk about both of those? Yes. Here's the thing. You have to decide if, if you're not going to be honest about how you feel, if you're not going to prioritize what you need, then you can choose to suffer through it mm. every day. But if you actually want to have a more intimate and truthful relationship with your parent, why don't you tell the truth? 
and say, you know, mom, I would rather us talk on the weekends for a longer period of time, or let's do it every other day. But every day seems like a drill to me. It's like, I see it's you and it feels like an obligation and I'd rather it didn't because I'm busy because, or whatever, whatever, whatever the thing is. Um, a lot of times you'll have parents that are guilting you. My mother used to say, Oh, you girls are so busy. You know, I, I don't want to call. It's been so long since I spoke to you. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, and finally I was like, Mom, no, with this disordered bullshit. No, Ma, you want to stop saying that. If you have a desire to talk to me, pick up your phone and call me. Yeah. If I don't pick up, which I won't because my phone is always on silent, I'll know you called and I'll call you back. Like, Stop putting that responsibility on me under the guise of you being nice. It's you being passive aggressive and now you're making me feel guilty and no, but she could tolerate it. Like with my mother, she could really tolerate it. And trust me, I'm saying it now with frustration. I was much more diplomatic (laughs) when I was saying it to her and much more loving, but I was like, Hey, that really makes me feel burdened, mom. I would rather you just call. Yeah. When you want to talk to me. Now, that was my preference. That may not be the person whose mom is calling every day. Maybe you've regretted saying that. But I think you have to decide how much contact works for you and start stepping back Yep. if you don't want it to be every day. Say, mom, let's just do Mondays and Fridays because the, week, the minute, middle of the week is busy for me or whatever. Or it's too much. Mm. Or it's becoming an obligation. And I love you and I don't want it to be. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and if mom gets upset, that's okay. It doesn't mean yep. you collapse the boundary and take a phone call the next day because there's yes, setting the boundary I, yes. and then there's holding the boundary. Yes. I always recommend that once you set a boundary, that you have the 48-hour rule where you do nothing. You're not taking that thing back. You, you want to, especially in the beginning of becoming a boundary boss, you're really going to want to take it back. But you're not going to. Let yourself be uncomfortable. Everyone's going to be okay. And in 48 hours, I promise you, I don't think anyone has ever taken the boundary back in, after 48 hours. You're like, well, this is amazing. I feel mm. so much better. Mm. And listen, we don't have to do it again. You can do it with love. You can start by saying, Mom, you know how much I love you and value you. I'm so grateful that we're close and then you can go into, but I wanted to let you know, talking every day is too much bandwidth for where I am right now in my career or my life. So I wanted to make a simple request that we talk on Sundays so we can actually talk longer. And instead of it being broken up, it'll be one or whatever, whatever you would say as to why you would want to do it that way. It is your request, you know? Yep. And what do we do with the guilt? Oh, you have to look at it. You have to sit with it. You have to allow it. Right. It's like that, that's the deal. Hmm. You know, you have to question it. Do you not have a right to have your own preference, to set a limit, to make a compromise? If your mother would like to talk to you seven days a week and you would like to talk to your mother once every two weeks, then probably talking to her once a week would be better than seven days a week for you. And you don't need to be dishonest, you know, Mm -hmm. because when we do it, when when we continue to acquiesce to things that we truly don't want to, we end up really becoming resentful in the relationship. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Before we get into where people can get the book and all the amazing bonuses you have, and I, I, everybody, you're going to love this book. There's there's case studies, there's teaching that Terry does, there's lots of exercises that she gives you, there's scripts. I mean, this is really your handbook for boundaries, which are super important because I have seen that when we don't have healthy boundaries in our life, we're disconnected from our purpose, our health suffers, our most intimate relationship suffers because we take out our frustrations with the people that we're not setting boundaries with with on the people that we're closest to. Like if you're not setting boundaries, mm-hmm. boundaries with your mother, your husband's going to get your irritation from it. So as just yep. an example. Um, so we're going to talk about where you can get that and all the bonuses in a second. The last question, because I think this is important to hit on. Um, and we were kind of talking about it with the mother-daughter the situation. But in the book, you talk about high-functioning codependency. Can you define what that is and the boundary challenges that it creates? 
Well, high-functioning codependency and how it's different than regular codependency. You know, codependency is kind of what we think of, most of us, is, you know, Melody Beatty, codependent no more. I must be an enabler and must be with an addict or a gambler, right? Like there's a lot of these old school ideas. And with my clients, they were incredibly high-functioning women. I would see this, these, this emotional codependent pattern. But if I ever brought up codependency, they would be like, Oh no, 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 you misunderstand. I'm, I'm not dependent on crap. I'm the one that does everything. Everyone comes to me. I'm the rock. So no, I'm not codependent. So I changed the name to high functioning codependency because that is what they were. And that is what I was, which is that you're capable. So you are getting all of these things done but you're getting it done at the expense of yourself. You're overly invested in the feeling states, the decision-making, the outcomes of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal experience or of your own health or of your own finances, where you are fixing, overgiving, overdoing, but because you're so highly capable, nobody would think that of you. They think you have it all together. So it's almost like, you know, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, they say that Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did, except she did it backwards and in heels. <laughs> yes. It's like that. So the, what are the challenges is that you are most likely running over people's boundaries because you're overdoing, you're overgiving, you are overtly and covertly trying to control because that is at the core of codependency, besides it being disordered boundaries, because it is, it is an overt or covert bid to control the other person, mm. right? When we, when we count drinks for an alcoholic, we are overtly trying to control their drinking. When we don't want this person to get fired and we're trying to help them, when we're looking up, you know, our you know, friend got, did get fired, let's say, and we're looking up stuff online for them, or I'm going to make a phone call, or I have a friend for you. We are trying to control the outcome for that person because we are so uncomfortable with the disaster that seems to be their life. Mm. Mm. Ooh, I'm going to let that land with people because <laughs> that was big. And this is just a taste, everybody, of what's in the book. So I encourage you to go out and grab it. It's out now. Terry, where can people get the book? And I know you have some free bonuses for people as well. I, do, I have all kinds of gifts for you people. So you can get the book at BoundaryBossBook.com. But you can get a free gift, just listeners of your podcast, at BoundaryBoss.me forward slash over it which is actually boundaries and codependency. That's what I chose to share with you where you dive deeper into what we were just talking about and ways that you can identify where you might be behaving in this over-functioning, over-giving way and some ideas of what you can do to take back some of your energy. Mm, and they can get that where? You can get that at boundaryboss.me forward slash over it. And the name of the book is Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. And you can get that at all the book places. You can. <laughs> Biggest takeaway, Terry, that you really want people to get to be a Boundary Boss that we can leave the audience with. If you go through your life with disordered boundaries, the people you love the most will not really know who you are. And how can anyone ultimately ever love you if you don't allow them to know you because you are so worthy of being loved in this authentic way? Mm. Mm. Yes, you are. Thank you yeah. so much, Terry. Thanks for having me, Christine. <laughs> 